0: So here we go. So we're in this series talking about this issue. Of, we're titled it Conversations. We're talking about this issue about does God desire to speak to us? How does God speak to us? How can we hear from God? And so we've been on this journey together, and we've been looking at this journey uh, with one another as we, as we walk through this. And so i got to tell you, when, when, when God laid this series on my heart, it was many months back, and we decided what we would do is is develop it for children's curriculum and youth curriculum and get the whole church and life group cu- curriculum and get the whole church centered on this, this one topic. Well, what that meant for me was I had to produce or write these sermons many, many months ago. In every series for me, God begins kind of weaving it and taking it different directions and, and this one was no different. And so when I was praying through this sermon this weekend and especially Saturday morning and some other times, Man, my burden for this message has changed a little bit as, as we've walked through this series together. And so I'm, I'm going to blow pretty quick through the first part of this. Uh, the first part of this is, is how has God spoken in the past? And I'm going to get to the second part where that's my burden, which is so important for us to understand, is this, is, is why does God desire to speak to us? Why does a holy and righteous God that created the world What is his purpose? Why does he want to speak to us? And so that's kind of a road map of of where we're headed together. Many years back, there was a young man by the name of Vernon Howe. Vernon Howe was was a young man. He was raised in a Christian home. He was raised in the denomination Seventh-day Adventist and uh, his grandmother writes and his grandmother would talk that when, when Vernon was young that uh, he would pour over the scriptures and sometimes she'd step in his bedroom and he's like reading the scriptures and tears are rolling down his face that uh, he read scripture almost nonstop as a young man. And as he got older, teen years and then, then into 20-somethings, Vernon Howe believed that God was speaking to him at a different level and trying to lead him into deeper spirituality and maybe new revelation outside of scripture, maybe calling him as a prophet. And Vernon Howe got very dissatisfied with his denomination, Christianity as a whole, and so he walked away from the denomination into kind of an offshoot group called the Branch Davidians. Vernon Howell was given the name David Koresh. And David Koresh believed that God spoke to him. He was a prophet and gave him new scripture that was over and above God's word that gave him new words and that he was a prophet. And he patterned his life kind of like King David And he took a group to Waco, Texas. And I was living in Houston, Texas when this whole thing went down. And he took a group to Waco, Texas. He developed a group of followers. He had a harem of women. All different age groups. And they believed David Koresh received Scripture from God outside of the Bible. And they followed him. Until the Texas Rangers, and I have a close friend that was captain of the Texas Rangers, that was a part of that whole investigation. And and I know a a lot of deep things about that, and just the horrors of it. And the Texas Rangers and, and FBI and ATF... In 1993 had a showdown there at Waco, Texas and it was on the news. You saw some of the people that were so gullible and so convinced that he was a prophet and God gave him a book over this one that even when they tried to intervene they couldn't get people to walk away. Even when the showdown happened Maybe you saw some news news clips of people caught on fire and running back into the building. They barricaded themselves there with David Koresh. History is full of one man after another that claims special revelation for God, golden tablets that they lost or cannot find, words from God that says, I am a prophet, I have another book of the Bible, I have another Bible, another, another, another book that is in addition to the scriptures. And many times it contradicts totally who Jesus Christ is, the Trinity, and everything. But history is also true that there are gullible people that will follow men like that that claim to have a special revelation from God that nobody else knows. And so the truth is that God, yes, is still speaking. It is not he spoke. It is he is still speaking. But you and I need to understand this morning that he is speaking from his word. The canon is closed. Canon means uh, ruler, yardstick. It It is closed. Scripture is intact. Read Revelation twenty-two nineteen. 19. The words of prophecy says, warning any man that adds anything to his word or takes anything away from it or takes another book and put it over and above his holy scriptures. And so we got to understand that God speaks to us, Yes. But God speaks to us through his word. It's the inspired, written word of God. The Holy Spirit inspired the word. When we become believers, he begins taking the word and applying it to our life. 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. That is a very important statement. It is God breathed. That's what it means to be inspired. We can be prompted by the Holy Spirit, we can be moved by the Holy Spirit, but that's totally different than the written word of God that was inspired through him. Yes, he used human authors, but the word, um, the Greek word where we get our phrase, God breathe, means to blow through. It, it It was a term that musicians used. For a person that played a flute, the flute was the instrument but it took a musician to blow through that flute. It's what gave it breath. It's what gave it depth and the same with his word. See, it wasn't some random act that people came up with, these are the books of the Bible. See, it wasn't in 404 AD that a group of men got together and said, hey, let's just determine what books go in and what books go out. No, this group of men realized in 404 AD that they needed to confirm, affirm what the local church was already doing. See, there's a litmus test that happens in the authenticity of Scripture and and that they used. And it was this: it was like, who was it written by? Was it written by an apostle or a close associate to the apostle? Did it agree with apostolic teaching? Did it agree with the teaching of the church? Were the churches using it then in worship and instruction? And so what they did is they came in and and, and affirmed what had been already being used ever since the day of Christ all the way to 404 AD. There are no lost books. There are no extra books. There is not another book that is over scripture. The canon, what scripture is closed. Fact is, Second uh, Peter one twenty one: for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Jude 1.3, beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend the faith is a once and for all deal in the Greek. The faith, the canon is closed. Scripture is closed, even though it's that prophetic. This was, here's the word, once and for all, delivered to the saints. Our Bible and I've taught on this. Fact is, when we were in Israel, uh, we, we went to a place, and some of you that were with me, you know this. We went to a place. We saw the cave where in the 70s, I think it was 78, the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. You know how they were found? A shepherd, board was, uh, shepherd boy was bored one day, and he began throwing rocks, and his target was a cave. And he threw rocks into a cave, and he heard something crash. And he says, "I'll go see what that is." And so he opened up this 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 container, a clay container, and it contained the Dead Sea Scrolls. Now, here's the most interesting: it did more to authenticate Scripture than any other find. That was in the 70s, because what we found was out of the Dead Sea Scrolls that every book of the Old Testament that is in our Bible was in the Dead Sea Scrolls. You can trust your Bible. There are no extra books. There are no extra revelations. So so we're going to look at this morning real quickly. How has God spoken in the past? And then we're going to look at this issue. Why does God want to speak to us? So here's seven things about how God has spoken in the past so that we're all on the same page. The first thing is this. We know this from Scripture. God has spoken in the past by direct revelation. Now I'm going to go really quickly through this as I said. I'll give you some scripture references as we go. But God has spoken in the past by direct revelation. Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve. He spoke by direct revelation. They heard the audible voice of God. God spoke directly to them. Uh, Genesis 12, one, when God called Abram, uh, who later became Abraham, God spoke directly to him by direct revelation. That's how he spoke it in the past. The second thing is this, is God in the past has spoken in dreams and visions. Uh, we know that several places in the Old Testament, several places in the New Testament. Fact is, when we walked through the life of Joseph together, right, uh, we, we looked at this issue, and, and, and uh, God spoke to Joseph through through dreams and through visions, and he interpreted them, and he made a mistake about letting everybody know what God had shown him, how he was going to end up, and what he was going to do in life, and Matthew chapter 1, he spoke in dreams and visions again, Acts chapter 16, uh, he speaks in dreams and visions again, so he spoke in by direct revelation, he's spoken by dreams and vision. The other thing is, is he has spoken through the prophets. Men in the Old Testament, like Amos and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Habakkuk and all these other guys, these men were able to stand up and say, thus saith the Lord, listen today, if someone stands up and says, thus saith the Lord, you better be sure they're quoting scripture. You better be sure whatever they're saying. And there is great warning to the man or the woman, revelation, that stands up and says, thus saith the Lord. And God never said it. And and while we're on that subject, in the Old Testament, there were prophets of God that God used as a a mouthpiece to speak into a generation and speak into a culture. But can I tell you something? There were false prophets as well. Satan is a deceiver. He masquerades as an angel of light. He cannot be trusted. And you and I got to understand, and especially where we're headed, and especially when you look at prophecy, more and more false prophets are going to rise up in our day and our time and claim to have a f- special book, a special revelation. And, but watch this. Uh, This is for free. (laughs) All right, Matthew chapter 7, the words of Jesus. Because here's the deal. Well, let me read it. Not everyone who says to me, this is Jesus, one of the most sobering passages of Scripture, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does, the will of my Father who is heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord Lord, did we not prophesy in your name prophecy prophets did we not did we not say thus saith the Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? I mean we tacked Jesus' name on to the end of everything we did and then I will declare to them, I never knew you." Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Listen, let me just tell you something. Miracles are not the proof of an anointing. I don't care if a false prophet rises up and something he or she says happens. That does not mean God is on them. It is all through the Old Testament. It is all through the New Testament. And you better understand God's word and be able to discern out what he's doing in a people group. God doesn't give. Scripture today, it, it's been closed. And he speaks through his word. Another way that he spoke, has spoken in the past is God often spoke through angels. Uh, the Christmas story we read every year here is a, a faith family. Uh, Luke chapter one, verse 26 and following. And the angels came to Mary and says, you will have a son and his name will be Jesus and all of that other stuff. So we know God spoke through, through, through angels. Uh, another one, God often used circumstances. I mean, God often used circumstances to speak to people. He used circumstances. And so, so there's, there's, a, there's an Old Testament uh, principle that many people use, and it's throwing out a fleece. And I would just tell you, as New Testament believers, that's an Old Testament principle. Gideon. Remember Gideon, when when God spoke to Gideon and told Gideon to do some things, and Gideon didn't know if it was the voice of God or not, and so that's why I believe that God spoke to him in his inner spirit. It wasn't an audible voice, because if it had been an audible voice, then Gideon wouldn't have questioned it. He would have known. That's God. And so Gideon said, God, if that's you... Then tomorrow, I'm going to throw out a fleece and I'm going to draw a circle around and let let where the fleece is, let it be dry ground, but let everywhere around it have have dew on it. It would be wet. And so that's how God confirmed the message to Gideon. But in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would descend upon them for a period of time, but never indwelt them. And now we have the Holy Spirit that guides us and leads us. We have we have his word. I, I am so burdened for Christians that, that are, are, are led by circumstances. And yes, God can use circumstances to confirm a message, but, but so many of us, if we're not careful, will let circumstances drive us in life. I mean, how many times have you heard well-meaning believers say, well, if God didn't want us together, then why did he let us meet? Or I know we're supposed to be together, because even though the relationship is everything hurtful R contradicts Scripture, a lot of believers will live, live their life by circumstances, and circumstances will drive them, and, and they use the open door thought, right? I mean, you've heard that, right? I mean, you know, God opens, if God closes a door, then he opens a window, and we say all those things, it sounds sweet. And, uh, and so there's a lot of believers say, you know what? I just live my life by the open door policy. That if God opens the door, then I walk through it. Here's the danger with that. Your focus becomes on the door and not God. Fact is, I can show you times in scriptures. When God said the door is closed, you open it. What? Yeah. There are times in scripture when God said the door is closed, you walk by faith. You open that door. You march around the city till the doors open, till the walls fall. You praise and worship me in the prison where the doors are closed and you're in bondage. There may be some doors in your relationships, in your life, that God wants to open for you if you will trust him. See, God wants you to be able to hear from him, to know the will for your life and the decisions that you should make. He doesn't want to leave it up to chance and he doesn't want to leave it up to circumstances. That's why people will say things and pray prayers and they'll throw out a fleece and say, God, you know, if you want us to break up, then let him break up with me. God, if if you want me to take this job, then have them offer me the position. And see, what happens is it takes the responsibility away from you because... You're not hearing from God, you're allowing circumstances and you will end up in a difficult place. So God has used circumstances in the past, but God has often used the Holy Spirit. And we talked about this last week, that the Holy Spirit, John chapter 16, that he desires to communicate to you and to teach you and to guide you and to direct you and to give insight. See, the Holy Spirit desires to apply scripture into your life. The basis, I hope you're hearing this this morning, is his word. That's why it's so important for each one of us to to read his word and to know his word. The last one is this, is God oftentimes uses significant others. That's why church is so important. That's why being around godly people is so important. To where someone can speak into your life. Listen, let me tell you something. If you don't have a Christian, if you don't have a godly person around you that can speak into your life and say no, and it causes you to pause, you're in trouble. Every one of us has blind spots. If you don't have someone in your life that cares about you, that reads his word and knows his word, so that when you tell that individual... I think God would have me continue on this path. I think God would have me make that decision. And if you do not have someone in your life that can tell you, I don't think so. I think that contradicts scripture. And it doesn't cause you to pause. You're in trouble. I I have people around me. We all have blinds. fact is, Sometimes the voice of God sounds a lot like Karen's. (laughs) Because I'm telling you, my wife has some spiritual insight. There have been times that I have told her, I believe God's leading me to do this. And she's like, I don't know. I, I don't know and it's caused me to pause and either go back to him or go back to his word. I have godly men around me that when they look into my life and say no or slow down, it causes me to pause. Every one of us has blind spots. And if you do not have, if you are so prideful that nobody in your life can tell you what to do. You build up barriers around your life that nobody can speak truth into your life. You're just gonna do what you want. You're on dangerous ground and you will never find peace and security. So those are the ways that God has spoken in the past. And, and, and uh, here, so, so here's, here's, the, here's the question. So why does God wanna, wanna speak to us? I mean, so what's the purpose of God speaking to us? Because that is so critical for us to understand. And, and it's just it's out of Romans 12, 1 and 2. And um, it's an equation or a, a, or a formula, if you will, that, that I have used for many years that just helps me to understand this. I'll give it to you, then we'll walk back through it, and we'll, we'll be done. Uh, it's this. It's presentation. Presentation plus Transformation equals revelation. Now revelation is deeper understanding of your life, deeper understanding of scripture. It's not new scripture, it's not adding a book to the Bible. Presentation plus transformation equals revelation. Fact is, this is the formula of how to find God's will for your life. There are so many people wondering, what is God's will for my life? And and I think we make it way too hard. And so, watch, let's just walk through this together. The first thing is this, is is presentation. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Here's what the scripture says. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present. In my Bible, that word present, that's circled. There's your presentation. So what do you present? You present your body as a living sacrifice. That's the first step of knowing God's will that's the first step of hearing from God. That's the first step of, of using his word to apply it to your life. It's this issue, God, I present my body as a living sacrifice. Listen, let me tell you something. It is easier to give a dead sacrifice than it is to give your life, right? It is easier to write a check. It is easier to make a donation. It is easier to give some money because it, it's, it's a dead offering, The deeper offering is this. I give you my body as a living sacrifice because the problem with a living sacrifice, you can step onto the altar on Sunday and you can crawl off on Monday. When life comes, when difficulty comes, a living sacrifice is a daily thing to where you present your body as a living sacrifice. I say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. My life is not my own anymore. See, in, in, in scripture, we, we make this issue of salvation, we, we make it so easy. It's like just no risk. It's just something we do. We just kind of accept him and we add Jesus, tack Jesus on to our life. But the New Testament knows none of that. The New Testament, when believers came into a relationship with Christ, they presented their body as a living sacrifice. Their life was never the same. They repented of their life. They changed the direction that they were going, and they began to follow him. So the first step, if you're going to know God's will in your life, is to where you're willing to say, God, all that I am, I give to you. 2 Corinthians 11.1, one, Paul says, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. God, wherever you want me to go, I'll go. Whatever you want me to say, I'm at my life. Christianity is us learning to how to imitate the life of Christ. If not, we could have one of these moments. Depart from me. I never knew you. You tack Jesus on to the end of your life, I never knew you. The word know in the Greek in in Luke chapter 7 was to know intimately. I knew you. There's presentation. Then comes transformation. This this word transformation in the Greek is where we get the English word metamorphosis. It's what happens to a caterpillar, right? I mean, we know that. We learned that in biology class and science class growing up to where you take this caterpillar and it goes through this this metamorphosis to where it no longer even looks like a caterpillar. Fact is, you look at this beautiful butterfly and you wonder, how could it come from that? There's presentation when we present our body to Christ as a living sacrifice. And then what happens is, is transformation begins to happen in the life of the believer. A metamorphosis begins to happen. Your personality begins to change. Your uh, your lifestyle begins to change. Your your values begin to change to where you want to begin to please him. And regardless if it's comfortable or uncomfortable, and you look at his word and you apply it to your life, and he goes on and says, but but be transformed. In my Bible, I circled that. There's presentation, there's transformation. So how are you transformed? By the renewal. By the renewal of your mind. What renews your mind? His word. Reading his word and understanding. You know, the. you learn the will of God by the renewal of your mind. And God, God wants you to know the, the, his will for your life and it comes by... It comes by renewing your mind. And I'm probably not telling you anything that you do not know, but especially pre-Christian days, our mind is corrupted. The mind can be vindictive, judgmental, hateful, mean. In fact, as Jeremiah said, who can even know it and understand it? I mean, it is totally corrupted. I mean, our mind, our conscience, because sometimes scripture uses that interchangeably, can be faulty. Here's just some things that, that I pulled out real quickly. Uh, some descriptions of the mind or the conscience. Hebrews 10.22 says the problem is our mind or our conscience can be defiled. In other words, we have faulty thinking. What we think is right is wrong and what we think is wrong is right. Our values can be upside down. Titus 1.15 said the mind and the conscience can be weak. 1 Corinthians 8.7, the Bible says that, that the mind and the conscience before Christ is dead. 1 uh, Timothy 4.2 says the mind and the conscience can be seared to where you can be vindictive, judgmental, mean, hurtful, and it really doesn't bother you like it once did because it can be seared and it can be calloused and scripture teaches in Titus that once we come to know Christ that the Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of us and begins to awaken if you will our mind and our conscience and and we're gradually cleansed by the Holy Spirit by the reading of his word and thinking all the things that are true and noble and right. And as you present your body as a living sacrifice, there is a transformation that happens by the renewal of your mind as you begin obeying his word and his will for your life. See, the word conscience is in the New Testament over 30 times. You know what it means? It means co-knowledge. It means co-knowledge with God to where there is a metamorphosis that takes place, a change that takes place. to where your thinking changes. You don't live this life like everybody else does. You don't live this life like the world does. And so there's there's presentation, there's transformation. And the last thing is this, there's, there's revelation. There's new understanding. There's a change in your values. There's a change in how you treat a husband or a wife. There's a change that happens how you treat a girlfriend or a boyfriend. There's a change that happens of how you live your life and you you treat other people. There's a change that happens to where we understand our purpose. The Bible will say our purpose is to advance the kingdom of God. Do you realize that? We live in contemporary Christianity that says that God wants you healthy, wealthy, happy, and all of those other things. And you can give your life to those things. You can give your life towards retirement and one day collecting stamps and seashells or all those other things, and you can give your life to that, but I'm telling you, that will never give you purpose or meaning. Purpose. What the Bible tells us about believers is to advance the kingdom of God in Pueblo, Colorado, and around the world. Last night, I mean, it was an unbelievable deal. We had a young man, very young, six years of age, Lee Hong. Li Hong uh, accepted Christ last night in this place. He was adopted by a family in our church. And they brought him from China to here. And it was way more than about adoption. It was about a young man Except in Christ. You see, one day, all this temporal stuff will go away. And all that will matter is eternity. There's presentation, there's transformation, and there's a, there's a deeper understanding. He says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Watch this. That by testing you may discern, understand, Our God reveals to you what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this. Jesus is talking, he tells a story about the difference between a person that knows Christ and a person that does not know Christ. It was so interesting so here's what jesus says starting in verse 24 everyone then who hears these words what words his bible everyone who hears these words of mine and does and does them will be like a wise man the blessing is not in hearing the word the blessing is in doing the word please understand that blessing in your relationships blessing in your family blessing in your life does not come by just hearing the word of God. We'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock, and the rock is a metaphor for Jesus. So this is the believer. And the rain fell? Oh no, so problems come? You mean problems come to believers? Yes. So the rain fell, the floods came, the winds blew and beat on that house. And it did not fall. Because... It had been founded on the rock, Christ. It had great security. And then Jesus contrasts this and says, and everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be foolish. In other words, Jesus says, you are absolutely foolish if you hear my word and you walk away and you don't apply them to, to your life and you don't do them. You'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The blessing does not come by hearing the word of God, it comes by doing them and applying them to your life. And the rain fell and the floods came. So you mean believers and non-believers have the same type of problems? Absolutely. I know what some of you have been taught, that you have been taught and you've built this false belief to where you have been taught to believe that, you know what, if I go to church, if I read my Bible, if I pray, if I raise my kids a certain way in the church, then I may not have any problems, I may not have any struggles, and then you know what happens when the rain comes, when the floods come, when divorce comes, when prodigal kids come, when illness comes, when cancer comes, when hurt comes, when economic problems come, you can be destroyed because you built your life on the sand. Look at this. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, the house that was on the sand, and it fell, and great was the fall. Listen, let me tell you something. Just so we all understand each other. Believers go through problems. Believers have hurt and pain in their life. But they walk through it differently. You see, here's what's happened. when, If your life is built on the sand, you will see your problems, your circumstances, sovereign in your life. I don't care what circumstance, what situations you're going through this morning, they are not sovereign in your life. God and God alone is sovereign in your life. And the person, listen, every service is different. are a different group of people and there's different issues and people are bringing different things in here. I just sense that some of you need to hear this morning that just because you're going through a difficult time does not mean you're a failure, does not mean that God does not love you, does not even mean that you have done something wrong. The one that built his house on the rock the same problems came as the person on the sand. Floods, wind, storms, hell, everything. And some of you need to get freedom and quit beating yourself up with guilt and everything else and understand that yes, they come. But when my life is built on the rock, I'll stand. And I'll stand through it. That's why his word is so important to us. That we're no longer conformed like the world. Because see, the world tells you you have problems, it's your fault. We're no longer conformed to the world. We no longer live life like everybody lives. We have a savior and we built our life on the rock. And yes, the problems are going to come but we'll stand on him and we'll praise him. But great is the fall for the one on the sand. So the question is, and the difference is, is the foundation. The foundation that we have of believers is in his word in a relationship to him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? I'm just going to ask that you would just sit before him and there would just be no distractions here this morning This is probably the most important thing that we do We have people in overflow and and we have people in this room and This is probably one of the most this is the most important things that we do. This is when people make spiritual decisions And my question to you As you sit before the lord, what is god saying to you? Not what is Charlie saying to you? Not what does Charlie want you to do? But what is God saying to you? Are you fighting him? Are you fighting him and taking his word and just applying it to your life and trusting him with your life, with your relationships? Maybe, you know what, maybe God wants to open some doors in your relationships to the place that you've already dreamed of being in in that relationship. And maybe the door seems closed right now and there's a barrier in that relationship. And maybe God wants you to just take his word and apply it and walk in purity and watch him open the door. Maybe God wants you to make a commitment to him to read his word and to build your life on the rock and a firm foundation. I don't know what God has for you, but I know this. God is speaking to us.